Psalm 46. Uh, Psalm 46 is a psalm that is familiar to many of us. Um, As soon as you see the first word, many of you, it will resonate. Um, God is our refuge and our strength. It will resonate with you because it is a psalm that is used so often in challenge and in trouble. And I want to share what I think God gave me this past week about this psalm, that it is truly a reminder of how God is our refuge and our strength in trouble. But oftentimes, what, how we don't see, we, we don't see what that trouble means. We don't, we aren't, aren't really mindful always of what suffering, what challenges, what burdens, what brokenness even in our lives can mean to us. And I think God in his word this morning gives us some understanding, a deeper understanding of how all of the challenges of life can work to bring us closer to himself. But I, I want to start by telling you a story. Some of you already know this. Many of you already know this story. But it comes from 2004. It's in October of that year that there was um, perhaps, uh, certainly is the biggest rivalry in baseball, um, but uh, it, it's one of the biggest rivalries in sport all over the world. There was an American League Championship Series between two teams. Anyone want to guess what two teams they were? I heard Red Sox. So if you're talking about Red Sox and you're talking about rivalry, who else are you talking about? Of course. You have Red Sox-Yankees 2004 ALCS Series. And if you know anything about this, actually there's a wonderful ESPN 30 for 30 out about this whole series. It's called Four Days in October. It's a powerful, powerful story of what all happened and some of the stuff that you knew and some of the stuff that you didn't. And they, as a part of this 30 for 30, they talk about this one game in some pretty big ways because of what happened in it. It's considered one of the most heroic performances ever in baseball. It's the story about Kurt Schilling. If you don't know who Kurt Schilling is, Kurt Schilling uh, was a a pitcher for a number of different teams, the Arizona Diamondbacks, but he was also at this time a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox. And during um, some games and some practices and some stuff, just before the game that he was supposed to pitch, I believe it was game six of the ALCS series, Red Sox were down in the series, three games to two. He needed to, it was a must-win situation. He had to take the mound. It was his day, but the problem is, is that he had blown one of his tendons in his ankle, in his right ankle. And before the game, of course, his coach comes up to him and says, hey, Shill, can you go? And Schilling, Kurt Schilling looks at him and he says, of course I'm going to go. Of course I, I can go. What we find out is that in this 30 for 30 is that that conversation happened about 20 minutes after he had had surgery. This is an hour and a half before the game. He had had surgery on his ankle in order to, to try to put things together enough that he could pitch a full game. He was a starter. And if you know the story at all, you know that Kurt Schilling went out and for seven innings pitched one of the most heroic pitching performances of all time. And it was powerful even when you watched it on television 
because there was this image that they kept on showing over and over and over again. It was the image of Kurt Schilling's bloody sock. The surgery before the game had actually not completely closed and healed, certainly. I mean, you can imagine, surgery's not going to do that, and then you go out and push off on your right foot in order to throw a baseball at 85, 90 miles an hour. It's not going to heal. By the end of the game, his entire sock was soaked with blood, completely soaked. And they won the game, and they won the series, and eventually they ended up winning the World Series, that was their first since the big Babe Ruth scandal over 80 years ago. It was the one that actually reversed the curse, if you know the story. Now, when Kurt Schilling's coach came up to him, he could have been a kind and tender coach, right? He could have been the sort of coach that said to, to, said to Schilling, he could have said, oh, you're bleeding, or you're hurting, or it's tender, Sit down, Shill, you don't have to pitch. But this coach said instead, could see what was in Schilling's eyes, could see his heart, and he knew that Schilling had to go out and pitch the game. He knew that for the good of this pitcher and the good of the team, that even though it was going to be hard, the coach was going to let him play. And what we have is this incredible story of this heroic performance because of what Schilling was able to do even in the difficulties of his life. I think that's what Psalm 46 is all about. I think God is speaking to us through this psalm about how we go through and experience many of the challenges and how we understand so often where those challenges come from. Let's begin by reading the beginning of the psalm. We'll read the first three verses. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. We start the first three Psalms with a reminder of just how much of a refuge God is to us. He is not just our refuge, but he is also our strength. He is the one who gives us the ability to stand. And when we think about the difficulties of our personal life, when we think about the difficulties that our community or family can face, we think about the difficulties of this world. For us to have that assurance that when we suffer or are in the middle of crisis and chaos, we can always know that God is close. He's close to us. There's an intimacy with God that comes in those difficulties. In fact, if we sort of do a rewind in our mind of our lives and think about in the places where we have felt God the closest, oftentimes, I know for me, those times when I have felt Christ closest to me have been in some of the greatest difficulties that I have experienced. 
God has been close to me and he has been my refuge. He has been my strength. He's been my help in trouble. He's shown himself to me. And what I've realized is that when I am in those difficulties and God shows himself and I experience his closeness, that's the best place to be. In fact, I would even say to some of you who are going through difficulties, going through pains, going through burdens, going through hard things, that God actually is showing himself to you in this awesome, special way, in an important way, in a way that you can't help but grow more deeply into relationship with him if you are willing. If we are willing to see God in those difficulties, then we're in the best place because we have to depend on him. We need him. And God wants us to need him, and so he will meet us when things get hard. But this psalm has a couple twists and turns about how those difficult things come. We're going to walk through some stuff, and we'll get there. Next we read in verses 4 and 5 these words. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at bring at, God will help her at break of day. When we hear these words, we again are assured that being close to God puts us into his safety. That's the city image. This city is a place of life. How do we know it's a place of life? Well, what does it say there? What flows through the city? A river. And imagine in this arid world of Israel at the time, water is life. God is reminding his people that when you are close to me, you are where life is. My city is a place of life. Why? Because I feed it with my water. And not only is it a place of safety, it is a place that we know and are assured that nothing can harm us. I hope you hear the echoes of Isaiah 54 verse 7. No weapon that's formed against me can prosper. Why? Because I'm close to God. When I am in difficulty and God brings me into his safety, when he brings me into his city, when he brings me into his life, nothing can harm me. And I want us to hear that this morning. Because I know that when we are going through crisis is when we feel most vulnerable, isn't it? I I ended up speaking at length with a person this week who felt so vulnerable because they felt like everything had been taken away and everything was broken and everything was a mess and everything was wrong. And my words to her, among many other words, was this. When we have nothing, Christ becomes our everything. And that's the best thing that we can have. Think about it. Think about our lives. Our lives are so often filled with other things that we can't have everything of Christ, right? Why? Because we have jobs. We have responsibilities. 
We have family things that we need to take care of. And yes, God meets us in those things and he uses us in those things. And those are great places where we can serve Christ. But often they can become from, uh, for us distractions that take us away from having our everything in Jesus. And we need to be very mindful, even though we have responsibilities, and as a husband and a father and as a pastor, I feel those responsibilities. I have to be very cautious. I need to be very wise to make sure that those responsibilities are not things that in my fulfilling of them, they take me away from my everything being Jesus. I need my everything to be Jesus. And sometimes, God will take away our everything else in order for our everything to be Jesus. How do we know that? Because it's in the text. Hear these words. Verses 6 and verse 8. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. Hear this. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. Verse 8. Come and see what the Lord has done. The Lord has done nice things and good things for everybody. The Lord has made everything perfect. The Lord has made everything ideal. Is that what it says? What does it say? It says, come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. We see chaos and we see God active in the chaos. It's almost, if we hear it, that God has a will in the chaos. A, a passive will, perhaps God allows things to happen, or even an active will. What does it say? It says, God lifts his voice, the earth melts. It says, come and see the desolations that he has brought on the earth. Now, for us to hear those words, we can hear them, yes, as the God is, is going out and he's finding the evil in the world and he's finding the brokenness in the world and he is destroying the brokenness. Yes, we can hear it that way. In fact, we hear later on, and we'll get there, where he talks about God creating peace. But for us to hear also that God sometimes brings desolation to you, and to you, and to me. Why? Because he wants to be my everything. And he is willing to take away anything else that blocks me from having him as my everything. God is willing to give you and I sufferings, and difficulties, and challenges, and burdens for one simple reason because he loves you so very much and he knows that being close to him is what what did we say what does the river bring it brings life and if we are close to him we are in a place of life and if we're that means if we're not close to him we're in a place of death and he is willing to take everything away from us that stops us from being close to him because he knows that this is the best place for us to be it means that sometimes some of the challenges and brokenness, some of those things are not things 
that you can, you can just say, oh, you know, God's going to save me from this. There's sometimes when God is active in making those things happen in your life. He wants to take away your addiction to alcohol. So he makes your life a mess around alcoholism. He makes so many messes that you have nothing else left except to go to him. He, has, he, he sees your idolatry of your children. And he, he comes into your life and sometimes he makes your relationship with your children difficult or brings them challenges for the purpose of bringing you closer to him because he longs for you to be in the place of life that's close to him and not dependent upon this thing with your kid, not dependent on that for your love and your value and your importance because your love and your value and your importance come in him. This is the difficulty. It's one of the most difficult Christian doctrines. It's called the, the, the problem of suffering. And there's a whole book in the Bible that is dedicated to it. Anybody know what book that is? It's the book of Job. And you look into that book of Job, and if you can understand how it works, you let me know because I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure out why God does some of the things that he does sometimes. Why he is allowing me to hurt. Why he is allowing brokenness in my life. And then I find out that when he allows that stuff into my life, it is for the purpose of me depending even more on him. For me to experience his love in a closer and deeper and more intimate way. So that I can say, like the psalmist, God is my refuge and my strength. He is my help in times of trouble. Though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake, fall into the heart of the sea, I will not fear. Why? Because I am close to my Lord, and God wants to bring me close to himself. Friends, hear me this morning. You're going through difficulty. You're going through brokenness. You're going through burdens. Some big. Some of you are overwhelmed. I know that some of you are in mourning here this morning. You've lost something or someone, and you are hurting. And God is saying, come close to me. That pain, bring it to me. I'm your refuge. I'm your strength. Some of you have, have the smaller ones. You're worried about something. You're stressed about something. God says, come close to me. Come close to me. I will be your refuge. I will be your strength. Some of this difficulty continues as we continue to read the text. We read verse 9. We see he makes Wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. God doesn't just bring people close to himself through warmth and tenderness. If you are just looking for a warm and tender God to make you feel good all the time, I have news for you. The God of scripture isn't always like that. Sometimes he breaks bows and shatters spears. And burns things with fire. Because that's how he knows we need to experience his love. So that we can be closer to him. Sometimes he brings people to himself through suffering and pain. Because he loves us so much. You're suffering. You're in pain. 
God loves you. He wants you to come to him, be more intimate with him, be more in relationship with him. But you have to hear it that way. Oftentimes what happens is what? When we suffer or have pain, we blame God. And we can blame God because maybe he allows it to happen. But he doesn't allow it to happen because he looks at us and he says, Jen Sternberg, I'm really glad you're hurting. This is fun to watch. It's not the kind of God he is. He looks at Jen and he says, your difficulties have allowed them because I love you. And I want you close to me. Depend on me. Listen to me. Come to me. And there's no other way sometimes for us to hear that. Why? Because we are stubborn. How many of you are stubborn? Now you can put up the hand of your spouse too because you know they're stubborn. And sometimes the only way that you can deal with stubborn things is with a two by four. Thank you, sister. And God loves us so much that he's willing to bring that two by four. And that's not a sign that he loves us less. It's a sign that he loves us more. Because he is willing, and sometimes I wonder, I, I wonder, and I look, I think about that image of the father watching his son on the cross. Think about that. That image of the father who is in, he is one with us. There is a, a level of relationship that we can't even fathom between the father, God, and his son, Jesus. And he allows that pain Not just the physical pain of a crucifixion. Not just the physical pain of lashes on the back. Not just the physical pain of thorns on the brow. But a spiritual, relational, emotional pain of abandonment. Where Christ even says on the cross, one of his words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can just, I I put myself into the image of the father if that were to happen to my son. And I would long Long to stop it. But the Father knows there is no other way to get to the other side of glory and beauty and eternal life and grace and love and life in its fullness except through his suffering servant, his one and only son whom he loves. God doesn't allow us to suffer with a happy face, but with tear-stained eyes. And for us to hear that that is the depth and the breadth of God's love for you and I, he is willing to let us hurt in order for us to get to the greatest and most amazing and beautiful life that we can imagine. Now, I've said to you in the past as we've looked at the text of Scripture, there's one thing, there's a number of different things that are important for us to, as soon as we see them, that we put our our radar on, that our, our bells go off. One of those things is repetition. When something is repeated, we need to hear it with special ears because that is like a double, triple exclamation point of power on that. And I hope you're reading Psalm 46 closely, because if you are, then you notice there's repetition, right? Do you see it? 
It's verses 7 and then verse 11. Verse 7 says this, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11 says this, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And we hear this reminder, this reminder that God is our fortress, that God is, he is faithful, that he will protect and he will guard us. But just before verse 11, we hear these words. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We hear God say, in the middle of your chaos, in the middle of your burden, in the middle of your difficulty, in the middle of your brokenness, be still. Be still. Take a moment, take an hour, take a day and still your heart in all that chaos. Why? Because then I can come in. I can come in and I can speak to you through my presence and my love, through the power and the spirit of Jesus Christ to come in and say to you, I love you, I love you, I love you. One of the greatest difficulties that so many of us have in this life is we have no idea how to be still. How many of you sat somewhere for 25 minutes this week and did nothing except be still before the Lord? Some of you did. God be praised. I have a feeling none of you were moms of toddlers. (laughs) Being still in this world is hard. Being still in our life is hard. Because there's so much. When you got a moment, what do you do, right? You sit down, and more often than not, you do this. Gemcraft, or whatever it is. I gotta get to the next level, or Facebook, who liked what and when and where? What's going on here? Check out this there. Who do I need to text message? Or other things are coming in. We overload ourselves with life. And God says, all that chaos around you, all that stuff, all that noise, all that junk, it's not me being still. Listening to my whispers of love, I gave my son for you. I gave my all for you. Why? So that I would be your refuge and strength, so that you would be close to me. I have allowed you to go through a lot of this stuff, but if you can get to a place where all this suffering, all the challenges, all the brokenness, all the burdens, if you can get to a place where in the middle of all of that, you be still and acknowledge me, I will meet you. What do we hear from John 14? I will give you another comforter and he will be with you and he will be with you forever. But we have to be still. I'm gonna give you your challenge this week. Your challenge is simply this. I don't care when you do it or how you do it, where you do it, what what you do. 
I want you for 15 minutes somewhere to be still. I want you right now on your outline, write down a time of day where that might happen. Maybe it's your Facebook time. Maybe it's just before your bedtime. Maybe it's just when you wake up. Maybe it's a lunch that you eat alone. Maybe it is driving your car. Now hear me here. This is not just about you praying, okay? Prayer is great. Prayer is a beautiful activity, a necessary activity of the Christian faith. I'm not asking you to just for 15 minutes pray. I am asking you to simply do this. At the beginning, the first sentence of that 15 minutes is this. Lord, today, this morning, this evening, I'm still before you. This world is chaos. We are getting in an election cycle. We have terrorism around us. We have brokenness in races and cultures. We have ethnic wars. We have so much tension all over the place. There is the fullness of social media. There are things coming at me from all places. Right now, Lord, for this time, I am still before you. And then, in the words of the Old Testament, come, Lord. For your servant is listening. We're not speaking, we're listening. 15 minutes. Anyone willing to commit to that? All right. That's going to be our Facebook post this week. If you're on our Facebook page, we'll put it even, maybe we'll do a prayer chain, I'll figure it out. We'll get some stuff out. I'm going to remind you. I want to hear, and then I want to hear the story. Maybe in your 15 minutes, God just gave you an opportunity to breathe. Maybe in your chaos, God gave you an opportunity to calm your heart rate, get your blood pressure down, and breathe again. Maybe he spoke to you. Maybe he gave you an image. Maybe he gave you a plan. Maybe he gave you a mission. Maybe he gave you a person. I'd like to hear what God has done and what God is doing in that. But it begins by us being still so that God can be our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. No matter what's going on, when we're still before him and allow him to come, we don't have to fear. It's a promise of God. And remember, God always keeps his promises. Let's pray. Father, we are still before you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. You are our strength. You are our life. And we know and acknowledge, Father, that you are willing to take away any idol, any barrier, any addiction, 
anything that consumes us more than you, you are willing to take that away. And we say, thank you, Lord. Because in taking it away from us, you give us yourself. And that is so very much greater. Father, speak into our lives in such a way. There are people here who are wondering, is this me? I don't think that I have any of these things. I don't think I have these barriers that stop me from being close to God. Father, speak to those folks that they might be able to have eyes to see and ears to hear where it is, Lord, that you want to go deeper with them. And there are some of us who can name those things. We know what they are. We see them in our lives every day. We see how they take us away. We see how they put us in bondage. We can see the chains even in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. Lord, I ask that you break those chains, even if it hurts. Break them because you long for more for us. You long for more of us. And you want us to long for more of you. And we acknowledge, Lord, that you are not a God who allows pain in our lives just in a, a sort of a sterile way. Lord, you know what suffering is. You know what pain is. You were there at Golgotha. You were there by the tomb when Christ's body was laid to rest. You were there and present with each lash you saw the cuts on the forehead and the spear in the side. You saw the pain of your son. Lord, that pain is something that when you look at us and you see us going through it, you have those same tears because you love us so much. Father, may we see these things as ways for you to bring us closer. And when you do, Lord, we can say thank you and let our lives be gratitude. To you, in Christ we pray, amen.